Hey, folks, thanks for stopping by. We're about to get to the latest episode of the Fire and Water Podcast. However, we've just finished recording, and we need to make up for something we failed to do. Uh, we failed to thank our sponsors in stock trades, and we want to be sure to do that because there's some really re- relevant things with this episode. And, of course, uh, it's a great resource you guys should be using. So, folks, uh, if you're not familiar with in-stock trades, it is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 45% off. And if you um, if you order for $50 or more, you get free shipping. So check that out. So this episode, as you'll find out in a few minutes, we're going to be talking about the old Batman Brave and the Bold comic book series. So what I wanted to let you know is if you go out to InStockTrades.com, you can get the Showcase Presents Batman Brave and the Bold Batman Team-Ups. So it's specifically the Batman team-up issues of Brave and the Bold. They're over 500 pages apiece, and you can get it for $9.34 each, which they normally go for $16.99. So you could get Volumes 1, Volume 2, and Volume 3 all out there right now on in-stock trades for $9.34. Put them together for like 28 bucks, You can get 1,500 pages. <laughs> Of awesome team-ups with Green Lantern, Flash, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, Adam, Hawkman. There's this amazing cover on the third volume where Batman's standing between the cops and the Joker going, Stay back! Nobody lays a hand on my partner while I'm around. This is great! <laughs> Jim Aparo is awesomest. So, go check this out. Now, Rob, you picked out one too, right? Uh, yes, I'm going to talk about the more modern series, the more recent, recent version of Brave and the Bold. This particular volume is called Team-Ups of the Brave and the Bold trade paperback. It features the uh, the collection of J. Michael Trzinski's run on the book, issues 27 through 33, which features, among other team-ups, uh, Flash, Blackhawks, Batman, Brother Power with the Geek, Green Lantern, Dr. Fate. But it also, Woo-hoo! the one specifically I wanted to make sure we covered is that it is number 32, which is the Aquaman Demon one-off team-up uh, that uh, I mentioned later on in the episode. It is was the first appearance of the classic Aquaman after a couple of years of him being dead. So it was kind of a big deal at the time, and it's a really, really fun story. The, book, the issues are drawn by Jesus Says, uh, and all of them are really fun. This was a fun series, but that issue in particular was really, really good. So you can get that book. Uh, it's 176 pages, normally $17.99. You can get it for $9.89, 45% off. Features a really, really nice cover, too, by Jesus Says. And actually, I mentioned a team-up between Green Lantern and Dr. Fate later in this episode, and it's also reprinted in this book, in this collection. Nice, nice stuff. So remember, folks, uh, head over to InStockTrades.com. Uh, again, for orders of $50 or more, you get free shipping. So why don't you just pick up all three volumes of The Brave and the Bold and this new stuff. Pick up something else, maybe an Aquaman or Firestorm trade. Bam, free shipping. Look at that. All right, folks. Um, thanks to InStock Trades, and on with the show.
exciting episode of the Fire and Water Podcast, the official podcast of AquamanShrine.com and FirestormFan.com. I'm one of your hosts, the Irony Mobile Shag from FirestormFan.com. Along with me, as always, is my co-host, the Zealot, Rob Kelly from Aquaman Shrine. How you doing, buddy? I'm good. I am a Zealot. I think that's an appropriate term for me. I'm, I am a Zealot about a great many things. Uh, now, normally, like I said, is normally where I would ask you what that word means, but A, I already know what that word means, and B, we have to get to the breaking news that is going on as we're recording this show. Shag, are you aware of what this breaking news is? Hold on. Are, are you changing what we were planning? What? We were going to talk about that. The, the, whatever. Okay, I thought we were talking about comics. Okay, uh, I guess I'm not. What the hell are you doing? We were going to talk about the Batman Brave and the... Anyway, okay. Uh, what is the breaking... I guess I don't know. What is the breaking news? You have not heard this news? I don't know what you're talking about. Ben Affleck is going to be Batman in the new Superman Batman movie. You are kidding me. <laughs> I am not. And I'm so not that I'm not even going to edit that out. Uh, no, 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 like, are you talking about, like, an animated thing? No, or are you no. Movie they announced Stop. at Comic-Con? Are, are you not, are you dim, are you only dimly aware that there is, in fact, a Superman? I know it exists outside Doctor Who. No, so you no, don't pay I, attention. of course, yeah, I watched the announcement there. at Comic-Con. <laughs> it, it really, it was a cool announcement. They did a good thing where they brought the guy out and he read, they did not know. It has not been out. You were, Hollywood, cool. ho- the Hollywood Reporter and the LA Times and every other news outsource has confirmed. <laughs> You're that full of shit. There's no way. Ben Affleck is going to play Batman in the Superman Batman movie. <laughs> no, he's not. He is. He is. And Matt Damon is going to be Aquaman. It's going to be fantastic. Oh my God, it's true. <laughs> Bruce Clark, this you. satellite is wicked retarded. Oh my God. This is the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. Now, look, I am not going to I am not going to bring the nerd rage or anything like that because I like Ben Affleck. I think he's a funny guy. I think he's a great oh director. I, I cannot imagine why he was picked to be Batman. I can't, that part of me is having a real tough time with. But, but you know what? It doesn't really matter because I'm going to see this movie anyway. It doesn't matter. Warner Brothers does not care about my enthusiasm. They just want my money. They're going to get it anyway, so it doesn't make a difference. But I will say, I am flummoxed at this choice. I, is this the? Hold on, hold on, wait a minute. Is is this possibly like a bad leak, like a fake leak, or no, is this? No, no, it's not. A, no, oh, it's just no. Warner Brothers made the announcement. Oh my god! It's a, it's an official announcement. It's that's what's happening. It's not. It's no. It's not a fake leak. It's Ben Affleck oh. is going to be Batman. He is now going to have be able to have said he's played Batman and Daredevil and <laughs> Superman. All in one career. What did he do, Superman? He played, well, he played George Reeves as Superman in the movie Hollywoodland. So. This is, this is retarded. There you go. (laughs) That is the big news. Facebook and Twitter are just exploding in nerd rage right now. People are just gone apeshit nuts. Like I said, I'm not, before anybody says, oh, they're prejudging, I'm not judging. I am totally not. I can't imagine. This seems like a bizarre pick. But it doesn't matter because I thought the same thing about Michael Keaton. I remember in 1988 well, when that news oh. came out, I was like, Michael Keaton? And that turned out really well or pretty, at least pretty well. So I, 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 I will actually agree with you. Keaton did a pretty good job. And as I'm looking at this picture, Ben, he does have a good jaw for the mask. He, no, he totally looks like I – I, visually, but, I don't have any problem. I just, it just seems like a strange you know this, choice. Well, you know what this is though. I mean think about it. Put yourself in time – go back in time 15 years ago. This is them casting George Clooney. It's I, the same 
same kind of young, yes. handsome dude thing, yeah. popular guy. Oh, God, let's it, not bring up uh, any more comparisons. But it's, it's it's them casting George Clooney. It's the same thing. It 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 seems strange to me because Affleck is such a recognizable person that I would think you would want to go with someone a little less known than that. But you know, like Henry Cavill. Well, Henry Cavill wasn't really well known, and they exactly him. Henry Cavill wasn't that well known. Christian Bale wasn't that well known. Right, really. all of them. Yeah, for the most other than Ryan Reynolds, and you see how well that oh. turned out. Uh, you know, so I don't know. I, I'm just I'm, we're just relaying the news. Obviously, by the time all you guys hear this, it's going to be Sunday or Monday or Tuesday. The news will already be old, so we're not like anything exciting, you know, new, new here. But it literally just broke like ten minutes before we started recording, and we could not mention it. So, ben Affleck, Ben Affleck is going to be Batman. That is, that is crazy. You could, you could have told me before we started recording. You know, I, I, <laughs> so. you, you said we were going to talk about Batman. Well, we are. And- well, that's what I thought we were – okay, folks, just so you know, this is this is a kind of cool episode we've been planning. Uh, we're going to be talking about a couple of issues of the old Brave and the Bold comic. One of my favorite comics of all time. So Rob tells me we're going to talk about the big Batman thing, and I'm like, okay. And then before we started, and then it's this. <laughs> I did not know this is what we're going to do. Amazing stuff, isn't it? Holy shit. Oops, I keep cursing. If you yeah. if you need to bleep those, go ahead. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, you said, like, uh, like you did in, like, your most recent appearance on the uh, Views from the Long Box, which was, like, a friggin' episode of Basketball Wives. There were so many bleeps in it. You guys are just a bunch of potty mouths. <laughs> he started it. It wasn't me. I went back and listened. Jeez. Um, <laughs> like, every third, yeah. beep, beep, beep. I was like... Well, I'm glad you mentioned that. I wanted to bring it up. Uh, I uh, Yes, I guest starred on a recent episode of Houston Law Box with my good friend Michael Bailey, and we talked about a topic that started here on Fire and Water, actually, about the whole find your comic book joy, find what makes you happy about reading comics. And we talked about that concept for a while. Mike kind of shared his thoughts. Um, if you don't know, he's written a dissertation on it over on Fortress of Bailey, too, that you need to go read. Uh, it's actually more like a manifesto. And uh, I think I've used that word every week. Anyway. And um, But it's a fun episode, so check it out. It's over on Views from the Long Box, and we talked about that. And then we went through old comic book lists, kind of like looked up, okay, what comics came up? What are you laughing at? <laughs> it was a lot of lists. It was a lot you, of lists. You guys both own, especially Mike, own a lot of bad comics. Ouch! <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of bad. I will say, everyone else, if any of you that listen to this don't listen to Views from the Long Box, you should because it's a great show. Mike's a great guy, great host. I think most of you do at this point, but if you don't, you should you should especially listen to that episode because it makes a really good companion show to this episode. Like because they're the, the top, and I, actually it works well as like a part one, part two, part three. You listen to the part one that started here, which was a couple episodes back where we were talking this about geek talk, episode. geek talk episode, and then that's sort of part one, and then Mike's is part two, and then this is sort of like a little follow up to that. So it's it's a fun show, but man, does think, Mike Mike have a lot of crap at his house apparently? I, I think it's a. Uh... A follow-up for you, but maybe not so much for me, <laughs> as we'll get into the explanations of this. <laughs> Never mind. So, yeah, yes, check it out. Views from the Long Box. And the episode, um, I can't remember what it's called, but it, the ad has a giant bottle of Joy dishwashing detergent yeah. on it, which I love. So, so yes, we are going to talk about The Brave and the Bold, uh, the fantastic team-up comic. It didn't start off that way, but eventually became a Batman team-up comic. Kind of like if you're familiar with Marvel team-up was Spider-Man's team-up comic, and DC Comics Presents was Superman's one. Brave and the Bold was Batman's one. And uh, we're going to specifically talk about issue number 172, which featured 
Oh yeah, Firestorm and issue 114, I'm sorry, Firestorm and issue 114, which was one of the many issues to feature the King of the Seven Seas. Yeah, Aquaman, uh, this is only Firestorm's only appearance in Brave and the Bold. Uh, Aquaman got, got a lot of, well, a lot of turns in the barrel. A lot of turns in the barrel? <laughs> yes, that's a phrase. I had not heard that expression. You Jersey people with your wild expressions, I tell you. So, we jumping right in? Sure, I just want to say the reason partly I, I picked this one to do is that Brave and the Bold was always one of my favorite comics growing up. Um, I usually had money to buy like three or four comics at a time. And Brave and the Bold, you know, was always going to be at the top of the list. Justice League and whatever book Aquaman was in that month, because it was always seemed to be changing. Those were always the top two purchases. And then, like, if I had, like, you know, three or four or five level purchases, Brave and Bold was always in there. I always bought it, um, partly for the artwork, partly because it had the variety. You know, you had Batman, who I loved, and then you had a different hero every month. So I've, I've read, like, every issue of the series. I've always loved it. So that was sort of my idea was I thought, hey, this would be perfect book to cover. And, of course, I love the animated series that followed up with. So, um, so yeah, that's why we're going to talk about uh, these uh, Firestorm and Aquaman-centric issues. Well, let's talk about this a little bit more. Like, So you said it was one of your favorite books, and you always picked it up. You said you liked partially because of the art and the team-ups. But what attracted you to this one specifically versus, say, DC Comics Presents or whatever? And I, and I have reasons for asking because I'll go into my connections of sorts. Uh, well, I was always a bigger fan of Batman than Superman. So right there, I mean, just Brave okay. the Bold was always inherently more interesting to me. Um, and... I, part A lot of it was the artwork. I mean, it's Jim Aparo, for the most part. Now, this issue that we're going to talk about, Firestorm, does not feature Jim Aparo artwork. The covers are always Jim Aparo. But for the mm-hmm. most part, the insides were always Jim Aparo. And it's like, I, Jim Aparo in the 70s is like, that. you can't beat that. So yeah. it, was, it was just always one of my favorite titles. I was always sorry to see it go. It was replaced by Batman and the Outsiders. Okay. Mm. Uh, you know, Siskoid, calm down. Uh, I, as, and as much as I loved Batman and the Outsiders, and I did, I was always a little sorry that Brave and the Bold went away. Because I just thought, you know, it was fun. It was just, every month you had a different, you know, different hero teamed up with Batman. And I liked, you know, I liked it where they were, they got imaginative. It was like, you know, one month Batman and the Legion of Superheroes. You're like, mm-hmm. well, how are they going to team those two up? You know, <laughs> like that kind of right, thing. Right, right. I liked the idea of dragging in different people and stuff like that. So it was that. It was just. It, it, all, one of my all-time favorite series. You talk about finding your comic book joy, reading Old Brave and the Bold, and re- rereading this Aquaman issue in preparation for this episode was pure joy. Pure well, joy cool. reading that over again. So. I, I have a sort of similar thing. That's why I was asking, because for me, um, you know, growing up, uh, I, I always bought, say, you know, Firestorm uh, and Blue Devil and things like that. But one of the comics I always tried to buy... And I may have talked about that here. I definitely talked about it with Mike. Was Marvel team up, which is essentially the Spider-Man equivalent of this book. Right. And I love actually probably more probably Marvel two and ones more the comparison to this one. But um, I loved Marvel team up because of the, everything you just described. I got great art. I loved Spider-Man. I got a team up. I got to see a different character every episode, every issue, and it was always a one and done. Right, that too. That I should have mentioned that. You're right. Yeah, I mean the stories were almost entirely single issue stories. So you got a whole, you know, a whole story in one purchase, which is great. Yep, and I always felt like I was getting more bang for my buck, you know. And I always found out about different weird characters that I didn't know anything yeah. about. Yep. And yep. so it's, it was very similar, except for my side, it was Marvel at the time, because in the early '80s, I was more of a Marvel guy than a DC guy. I used to joke around that Marvel was the training ground for you to, to start writing good comics, and then you moved on to DC. Uh, <laughs> But uh, um, 
So, yeah, I, I totally get where you're coming from. Now, I didn't have that experience with Brave and the Bold, though, because, I, in fact, the only issues of Brave and the Bold uh, I own are the, are the Firestorm issue, a few of the Aquaman issues, and then I have an unread um, showcase of, of the first volume of Batman Team-Ups, okay. which I haven't read yet. Now, didn't Neil Adams get his break uh, drawing Batman through Brave and the Bold or something like that? I don't know if that was his first gig. It was a, certainly a very early one. Um, well, I don't mean his first gig, but isn't that how he got to Batman? Yes. Like, oh, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was his first, yeah, his first DC, his first Batman work at DC was on Brave and the Bold, yes. Because the story I've always heard is that he, he wanted to draw Batman, but he couldn't break in. Because the editor on Batman just controlled it. He had his, you know, a, a tight grip on it. And Neil Adams just couldn't get through that wall. And so he went over and did Brave and the Bold, and everyone was blown away by his mm-hmm. stuff. So obviously they felt like they needed to move him over to Batman. Right, and it was Brave and the Bold was the comic that introduced Green Arrow's then new look with the with the beard and the all green outfit mm. stuff. Very cool. All right, well, uh, uh, we are going to cover, as I said, we're going to cover Firestorm and Aquaman. We're going to tackle Firestorm first. This is this is Brave and the Bold. You know what? Hold on. I did want to mention that <laughs> DC tried to do a new Brave and the Bold about what five years ago? Yeah, something like that. Maybe a little bit more. And I actually bought it for a little while. And by a little while, I mean probably the first, like, I don't know, 10, 15 issues. But the problem I had with it was, even though he teamed up, usually it started off as, I think, Green Lantern's book. Because everything, of course, is Green Lantern. Um, it started off as Green Lantern's book, I think. But, and they would team him up with a different character every issue, but it still was one continuing story arc. And I felt like that's where they missed the boat. I understood why Mark Wade did it. Because you know he felt like they had to do the trade paperback collections, but in order to, it just it just didn't. You know, I wanted a one and done. I didn't want a continuing story arc, so that you had to come up with a plot that worked for Green Lantern to team up with Supergirl and then Lobo and then I don't know somebody other else I can't remember. And uh, I just I feel like they kind of missed the boat on that one. Yeah, I agree. It's funny you say that about the one and dones because there was an issue of Brave and the Bold near the end of that run that featured Aquaman and the Demon. Uh, which was uh, the classic Aquaman's first appearance in like a couple of years because it was right after sort of Atlantis. And that was a one and done. And that's a great little story. It's by J. J. Michael Straczynski. Uh, and that's a great that's a great little Aquaman adventure. And it's nice that it's just one issue. <laughs> you get the whole story in just those 20-some pages. You know, they did another one, one and done, right towards the end as well, which was a, a Green Lantern and Dr. Fate. And it was the original Kent Nelson which is during a period when he was dead. And he had, he was like a, a piece of Dr. Fate that was living in Green Lantern's ring or something like that, whatever. But it was a great one-and-done story. Yeah, there's, so, some, there's some good stuff in there. There is some good stuff in that, in that series. And I think most of it's collected, probably, so worth checking out. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, in fact, uh, you should go out to in-stock trades and check that out. That's a good idea, yes. You should. You absolutely should. So, uh, all right. Back into it. Brave and the Bold, number 172. How many times have I said that? <laughs> uh, folks, this is cover date of March 1981, but actually, if you set your Wayback Machines, hit, your, hit the shelves on December 22nd, 1980. And this is, as we said, a team up between Batman and Firestorm. But to give you some perspective on this, this comic was released uh, at the same time Firestorm was appearing in the Flash backup comics. So this is in between his original five-issue series, after he joins the JLA, but before... He had his own Fury of Firestorm series, um, almost, actually a full year before he would start the Fury of Firestorm series. So, 
Uh, in fact, came out the same. This came out the same month as Flash number two ninety five when Firestorm was fighting the Typhoon. I can't get so, that excited about it. Sorry. Typhoon is so cool. Luke will back me up. Okay. So there's a great Jim Aparo cover. Firestorm is inside a nuclear reactor, and he's, uh, he's, he's absorbing way too much energy, and he's really sickly. And Batman's banging on the glass, yelling, It's no good! Firestorm's dying! And I can't survive that nuclear reactor long enough to save him! And then the big, bold headline is, Plus a Nemesis Storm. <laughs> um, Which we won't be covering in this episode. Right. I may, uh, I, I know normally we like give the review or the recap and then do the commentary. I may, I don't know, I may intersplice a little bit here. Um, it's a really good cover up until Firestorm's face. You don't like it? I like it. I, mean, I don't like his to look face. All, he'd be supposed to look all desiccated and stuff. Uh, he does. He certainly right. does. Okay. But I guess I would have, normally I guess I would have expected more like, I don't know, he's rearing in pain, not turning into a withered old man or whatever's <laughs> happening to him there. So. Do not Again, question I, Jim Apparel. I know, I know during that, because his Batman is freaking brilliant. The Batman is great. In fact, uh, the guy who runs the Brave and the Bold Lost Pages, you know, now Super Team Family, mm-hmm. he's actually used this framework before. Oh, oh, of course. Oh, yeah, yeah. That makes total sense. Yeah, and he replaced the inner inset with, uh, I think it was the Doom Patrol or something like that. You could replace it with, like, you could use this with, like, a thousand different things, probably. Couldn't be the Doom Patrol. That's DC. It was some Marvel group inside the window doing something. Anyway, all right. So, when you open inside, you know, you get Jim Aparo on the cover. Sadly, you don't get him on the inside. Yeah, it's one of those totally like, ooh, cool cover. Oh, ooh, what happened inside? Um, <laughs> oh, it is. What's that? Jeez. Dude, dude that I'll just, you know, I'm just going to straight up and say it. Carmen Infantino drew this issue, and Steve Mitchell inked it, and it is poor. Ooh, it, it's, wow. It's, I love Carmen Infantino, but as most people are willing to acknowledge, his stuff in the early 80s when he came back to The Flash and everything was not as powerful and as impressive as his, old, as his old stuff. And sometimes, like we've gone through in Who's Who, sometimes you get a Carmen Infantino piece that's gold, pure gold. This comic is not pure gold. So, <laughs> just going to say. It is written by Jerry Conway. As I said, uh, Carmen Infantino and Steve Mitchell are the, the artists. You get John Costanza on letters, of course. Adrian uh, Roy on colorist, and Paul Levitz as editor. Now, the story starts out with Batman's in New York, and uh, he's swinging by Corden's Research Incorporated. And he is apparently stalking somebody. And you're not sure who he's stalking. Turns out um, he is stalking Jason Bard. And if you know Jason Bard or you listen to the Who's Who episodes, you know that Jason Bard is a private eye who is tied in with the Batman universe, especially the Batgirl part of it. And Jason's on, uh, on watch. He's watching Concord's research because he's trying to keep an eye out for Professor Martin Stein. He says he's been hired by Concordance, who just hired Martin Stein, to investigate Professor Stein because he's had some blackouts in the past and he's, uh, he's, some things are going on right now and they just want to make sure that he's got his stuff together now that he's working for the company. So Batman takes off and, and, and you're left wondering, why is Batman in New York? Wait a minute, he's not there to watch Jason. Why is he there? Turns out he's waiting for Firestorm um, because Firestorm had just left the satellite and was acting very sort of erratic. So anyway... Uh, Firestorm comes blasting out of Concordance Research Center, and Batman great, takes <laughs> this is insane. Takes his batarang and loops Firestorm. I guess he thinks Firestorm wouldn't notice. I don't. I don't, <laughs> I don't get that. But he 
he's, you know, batarangs Firestorm around the chest and intends to just, you know, swing along under Firestorm as he flies across New York. He's hitching Firestorm. a ride on Firestorm. Right. I, I think someone would notice if they've been wrapped up by, uh, you know, whatever they're called, microfiber cable or something. I uh, Firestorm <laughs> subscribes to the ass, gas, or grass policy. What'd you just say? <laughs> Old hitchhiking joke. Let's just move on. Okay. Um, I think I think Batman's called monofilament wire. Anyway, so uh, Firestorm immediately transforms the wire into confetti, and, and uh, Batman is falling to his death. But, you know, hey, he's Batman. So he angles himself, so he goes flying at a, at a uh, music center. I guess it's supposed to be sort of like, uh, you know, a, a big, big, uh, what do you call the, uh, Concert whatever. Concert hall. Thank you. And uh, wow. he's flying towards, I, I, I was trying to say a particular one. Uh, Madison Square Garden? We'll go with that. So, anyway, it's got a bunch of those uh, typical marquee sign light bulbs, and Batman wraps his hand in his cape and grabs the light bulbs and just bang, 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 pops them as he's sliding down the marquee sign <laughs> to slow his descent. <laughs> Any it's, relation to actual physics is totally coincidental. I have to say, I think that's my favorite bit of the issue because it's it's that cool. It's like that, that's an action star thing I'd never thought of. Like, wow, that's pretty cool, actually. Because I mean, you know, he's Batman. So, all right, he lands. Jason Bard catches up with him. They chat for a second, and, and Batman is sort of left scratching his head. Why was Firestorm at? You know, what, what's the connection between Firestorm and Professor Martin Stein? Because he's pretty convinced Firestorm's a young guy, but why is Professor Stein this old dude involved? So then we get a, an obligatory flashback where some people who sort of look like the Justice League are. I have to say, no, look, I don't want to speak ill of the dead. I have to say the shot of the JLA satellite floating in space, that is the most sloppily drawn satellite. I've, that looks like a, a honeycomb like you'd have in your cereal. That does not look like the JLA satellite. Dude, my seven-year-old does better than that. <laughs> that, is, that is a very sloppy drawing. So some people who look sort of like the Justice League are standing around talking, and Firestorm asks a really weird question. He says, what I mean is, obviously we're catching him in the middle of a conversation, what I mean is, is if one of us ever started acting crazy, would you have to kick him out of the league? And he's, he's sort of asking these sort of like, I have a friend who's pregnant questions. You know, <laughs> that Clearly he's talking about himself, but the Justice League's like being polite enough to be like, it all depends, Firestorm. What is this person having a problem with? You know, they're, they're trying to get it out of him. They can tell he's a teenager. They know the deal. They don't know who he is, which I, ne- I never noticed to you guys, by the way. You and I think Russell Burbage pointed out to me. I never realized Firestorm didn't reveal his identity to the JLA. That's pretty crappy. Anyway, so I just never picked up on that. So anyway, so they're, 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 they're sort of humoring him. And they're like, how can we help you out? Um, or how can we help you? Whatever. Either way, Firestorm gets mad, storms off and says, I said forget it! And he storms off. And they're like, geez, that was a desperate cry for help if I've ever heard of one. So Batman, I do like this line where Batman's talking to Superman. And uh, Batman goes, I'll find out. And Superman says, do you think you can? Batman goes, I'm a detective. I'm good at what I do. I like that. That's pretty cool. See, now, so if anyway, I, now, okay, I'm sorry. If I hired, like, the John Byrne to do, like, the five minutes later art for this sequence... Yeah. The next panel would be Superman rolling his eyes and thinking, what a dick. (laughs) You know, Bruce, you can't just answer my question. You have to, like, be all, I'm Wolverine. I'm the best at what I do. What I do isn't very pretty. Oh, shut up already. Just go get in your goddamn car and find him. That's Wolverine. (laughs) I know. I'm just saying. It's just Batman's just being a dick. I'm sorry. If I was Superman, I'd be like, you're lucky I don't heat vision your inside, you 
douche. <laughs> I like to think the straight man's slowly giving Batman cancer. Yeah. Just, just to be a <laughs> D-bag. All right. So, Fire, you know, we follow, uh, Batman is following Firestorm along. So, Firestorm's flying through the air. Batman's following him in the Batmobile. And Firestorm flies. It's a very undercover way of following someone. Well, sure, right. Yeah. Batman better hope that Firestorm follows a major highway. Um, <laughs> it doesn't, like, fly over a river that doesn't have a bridge or something. <laughs> so, anyway, so, uh, Firestorm flies into a hospital, Eastside General to be specific. Flies, I guess he melts the wall, actually, is what he does. He melts the wall, is what it looks like. Flies through the hospital, flies into the nuclear medicine department, because that's, you know, what they've got there. And it goes up to this huge machine that has these mechanical worker arms. He zaps them, and he's stealing them. So he flies back out, and Batman's like, holy shnikes, and gets back in the Batmobile. <laughs> Continues to chase him, and the cops have a neat conversation about seeing Batman. Jason Bard goes into Concordance Research looking for Professor Stein. Doesn't find him, but kind of suspects where he may have gone. Gets a Rolodex card. Chad Bokelman, look it up, Rolodex. Grabs a Rolodex card and follows, goes specifically to Ronald Raymond's house. Or gets the address Ronald Raymond's house. Meanwhile, Batman shows up, goes to, uh, maybe it's, uh, oh, he goes to the Hudson uh, Nuclear uh, Facility, the one from Firestorm Number 1. You know, for those match heads out there, you remember the one that Professor Martin Stein built? Apparently that facility still is standing, and Firestorm has flown there, and he's reactivating the nuclear pile. So Batman goes there to go check it out. Firestorm's inside, attaching those uh, those worker arms he stole from the nuclear hospital facility thingamajigger. And you find out that the nuclear pile, and I said it wrong again, nuclear, 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 nuclear pile has become sentient. It is the world's first nuclear nuclear life form. <laughs> shut up. A superior – shut up. A superior sentient being. And he is controlling Firestorm. In fact, he refers to Firestorm as a – I want to say a puppet at one point. So um, Batman puts on a radiation suit, picks up a pipe. He's, I think he's getting ready to clog, fi- clock Firestorm in the head. I'm not sure. But the, the living uh, atomic – can I just call him the atomic – be a sentient being? Would that be? Hey, it's your show. Do what you want. <laughs> the living atomic sentient being realizes Batman's there. He's known all along that Batman's there, so Batman's in trouble. Suddenly, it's Firestorm versus Batman, and Firestorm zapping Batman's stuff—not Batman himself, but just zapping like his lead pipe. So Firestorm and Batman are grappling. Batman rides Firestorm rodeo style, and <laughs> makes Firestorm like he's trying to blast Batman. Batman dodges out of the way at the right moment, and Firestorm blasts the, the atomic pile. But boom! So, like equal equations, the fusion blast and the fission reactor cancel each other out. Firestorm is freed from uh, his being a puppet. Batman has been knocked out. Firestorm then very politely drains the excess radiation from Batman's body, saving him. And then uh, they, they go their separate ways. And Batman is left wondering. He's still trying to figure out what Professor Stein's uh, connection is to it. And, uh, but he's sure of one thing, is that uh, Jason Bard, between... Professor Stein and Firestorm and Ronnie Raymond, they're a match for Jason Bard. So, Professor Stein goes to Ronnie's house, and then they pretend that they've just finished an interview. That that's why Professor Stein was going to see Ronnie Raymond, is that he was doing an interview for the school newspaper. And Jason Bard is going, hmm, I can't put my finger on it, but uh, you haven't heard the last of me, Professor. There's a mystery here, I'm sure of it, and someday I'm going to unravel it. And that is the end of this Quite honestly, wretched story. <laughs> um, Jerry Conway, the man who invented Firestorm, uh, or co-created, I should say, at least wrote this, wrote the character, wrote this story. 
I don't know if you're aware of this. Jerry wrote uh, almost to be exact the first. It's almost exactly the first 100 appearances of Firestorm, uh, regardless that, of what book it was in. Sure, Firestorm, Flash, Justice League, and that was all Jerry stuff. So yeah, that makes sense. Things like Brave and the Bold, DC Comics Presents. Right. Jerry wrote those as well. So it's interesting that it was nearly uh, 100 issues of, of Firestorm that he got to write. So this is one of the few misses he had early on. Hey, you can't, you know, you, you can't, it can't always be success. It can't always be hits. I don't know if you noticed, it's an exceptionally short comic. Um, it's only... 17 it? pages. Actually, it's... Yeah, it is 17 pages. Yes, it is. Yeah. Uh, so very, very... Well, I, I was miscounting. I was counting the cover. I thought it was... Anyway, so it's only a 17-page story. Now, they did have a backup with Nemesis, so that, that explains why the comic was and we'll, still... Hmm? Right, well, we'll leave, the, we'll leave the coverage of that sort of all the various Nemesis podcasts that are out there. Right, exactly. We don't exactly. want to step. Yeah. I don't want to step on their toes. Right, so. exactly. Now, a few, few notes here. Jason Bard investigating Professor Stein is actually really friggin' brilliant. That's a great idea. I mean, it's a really, really, really good idea. Because at this time, in the Firestorm series, Professor Stein had, uh, well, earlier, I should say, when it was still the, the Firestorm ongoing, Professor Stein had actually hired a, pre, a PI to follow him. Because he didn't understand why he was blacking out. This was a period of time when Martin Stein didn't realize he was part of Firestorm. Ronnie was being a jerk and wasn't telling him. And so Professor Stein would simply black out, wake up, and somewhere else would be like, what the hell happened? Why am I here? And then he started drinking and became an alcoholic. It was really terrible. And he hired a PI to follow him around. So now here you've got that same plot thread picked up again. But since this is a Batman book, they have um, Jason Bard hired to follow him, which I thought was a really, really, really clever move. So very cool. I enjoyed that. And, uh, you know, I, I knew Jason Bard from really my knowledge of him comes from the Birds of Prey comics when he, he came back and the Who's Who stuff. I've never actually read his old 70s stuff. Have you? Excuse me, I was drinking very, some water. Uh, very, very elaborative, Rob. Thank you. I, I'm, just, I'm sorry, I have to replenish my fluids every so often. Uh, I read a every little. Every 24 hours, right? Every 24 hours. I read a little bit of it. Um, they were okay. You know, there a lot of them were drawn by Don Heck, who doesn't that well for me. So, um, so yeah, I'm only vaguely familiar. He, Jason Bard, story-wise, I agree. I think it's neat that they worked him in. In fact. I mean, obviously this wasn't going to happen. I think in some ways it would have been more fun to do a Jason Bard Firestorm team up because, to me, Batman really can't be undercover too much because he's driving around his Batmobile on the streets of New York City. He's bound to draw some attention to himself. Um, but Jason Bard visually is not well served here. The first page where he appears, that is one of the worst drawn hats I've ever seen. Uh, <laughs> Carmen Infantino can't seem to keep it straight what the hat is. Sometimes what? it looks like a fedora. Other times it's flopping down over his head like it's like a Jethro hat. Uh, there's a couple of panels where he looks like Ragman, for God's sake. So, uh, well, I think it's supposed to be like he's a schlubby, you know, poor P.I. Yeah. You know, it's supposed to be a crappy hat. It just looks – to me it looks inconsistent from panel to panel, unfortunately. Well, and there's so much shadow on him too. Yeah. I mean, yeah. like so much. It's yeah. I mean, he's got – but Jason Bard has more shadow than Batman. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so – uh, page three. Uh, it was nice of Carmen Infantino to carry on the cover, the tradition from the cover, and give Firestorm a wretched-looking face. Um, I mean, that's really bad. I mean, Firestorm—he looks like a gorilla or something. Like I thought, I, I knew when I read that, I'm like, oh, Firestorm's possessed in this issue because he doesn't look anything like himself. So, um, okay, I got to mention the marquee lights again. I love it. I really think that's cool. I, I have to point out that playing at this concert hall that 
Batman almost falls into is a act called Burger and Bun. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> I didn't even notice that. I don't know why. They couldn't come up with a name that's not quite so ridiculous. They could it's be like it, bur- but Burger and Bun. There you go. Well, maybe they did the music for the Burger Time video yeah, game. Maybe, I'm not sure. Maybe they did. So. <laughs> Um, it's worth mentioning again the absolutely horrible 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 art on the Justice League on the satellite it is so bad I mean Superman that that widow's peak that he's got going and Flash's fat 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 face oh god it's (laughs) it's really bad it's it's really really bad um now I, I did like how I did like the whole thing where Firestorm was giving the sort of uh, you know I've got a friend who's pregnant speech. I did like that thing because I mean it really played his teenager angst well. Like he, he couldn't come out and be honest with them. He had to storm off and yell at them. I mean it was very teenagery thing. So I liked that on page seven. Now the only downside to that is on the on page seven when Firestorm's walking away and he yells, "I said forget it." What in the hell is going on in his back? Um, the Atomic symbols, mm-hmm. you know, part of his costume on the back. Clearly, uh, they didn't bother to reference any drawing of Firestorm ever done before for his back. Uh, they just kind of guessed which way the the electron paths must go. <laughs> and if you look at this, he's got electrons on the front of his costume and electrons on the back of his costume. In fact, one electron path as is that two electrons on the same path? Oh, jeez. Anyway, it's a it's a mess. Uh, he is. Literally an atomic explosion ready to happen all over his costume. So it's just bad. On page 8, when Firestorm flies through the hospital, is it wrong of me to think that blonde nurse is really hot? I mean... It's not wrong. It's consistent. (laughs) Consistent because Carmen Infantino usually drew beautiful women, as was proven in the Star Wars comic. Yeah, that's what I meant. Okay, good. Because if you read the old Star Wars comic, he clearly had something for Princess Leia. Well, we all did. She was very vavavoom in those old comics. So, all right. Here is something on page 10 that is really cool. That's actually happening earlier in the comic, but this is the first time you can really see it clearly. On page 10, Batman is running out of the hospital, and his shadow on the ground is his Batman symbol. Mm-hmm. Throughout the whole comic to that way. And sometimes it's incredibly subtle. Like, you'll just see part of his cape shadow on the ground or something like that. But it's clearly the Batman symbol. So I thought that was really cool, really nicely done. Very uh, – had some good symbology, I guess. I, now, what? I do want to mention this on page 10 before you get off of this. Is there's a – where Batman tears out between the two cops. And the yeah. one, one cop says, say, Joe, do you know who that was? And the other guy goes, some guy thinks he's Rene Julian. And the guy goes, no, Joe, that was the Batman. Now, I had to look up Rene Julian. Now, the I'm going to guess in Indy 500 – no, well, that's the funny thing. The only listing I can find on the entire internets of Rene Julian is like a 1600s era pirate. So what? I don't get this reference at all. And if if I would be inclined to, because to, we talk to Jerry every so often, I would be inclined to write Jerry and ask him what the hell does that reference mean. But I feel like I'm wasting the man's time by asking him about one panel that he wrote in a comic book. 30 years ago, so I'm probably not going to bother him with it, but I will say that that reference is completely inscrutable to me. Huh. You're looking at Brenda Julian right now, aren't you? Maybe. I can hear the (laughs) clicking in the background. I know that's what you're doing. (laughs) There's no Wikipedia page. There's nothing. Like, I I looked up Brenda Julian, and the only person in history with that name, according to the internet, which is always right, is a, a pirate from around the 1600s. So... 
I have no idea. I, it sounds like it would be a race car driver because, like, Batman's driving his car. You'd think it would make sense. Maybe they got his name wrong or something. I don't, I, know. I don't know. I'm just, yeah, I'm, I'm at a loss. Well, what, what cracked me about the, up about that scene I was going to mention, actually, I'm glad you brought up, is uh, the familiarity of Batman mm-hmm. at this point in, in history. In fact, when we read the Aquaman issue, it's a hell of a lot more. But just like everyone's like, oh, hey, there's Batman. You know, oh, that's yeah. cool. Hey, hey man, he's how not, you doing? He's not an urban legend. Uh, he's very verbose, and he's very. And his thought bubbles are certainly very verbose as well. It, it's nothing like the post-crisis Batman. I mean, the, the Batman here is is completely different. I mean, he's still got the skills to pay the bills, but but he's more about being a detective than being a fighter. He, he well, in these in this era, he's super cop. He's a super yeah. cop. You know, he's a yeah. cop with extra abilities, but that's about it. Now I do I see that's one thing that I, actually Michael Bailey the way one of the ways he and I first met was in surprising no surprise in an argument and we, one of the things that got brought up was Batman everyone was talking about you know we're doing just joking around doing who would win in a fight kind of stuff and somebody you know it was Batman versus somebody and they said oh well Batman's going to win because he's the world's greatest fighter and I said no he's not this is me being a total dick and from the all audience like no he's not he's the world's greatest detective. And that's a point that I really like to make is that for, for a long time, Batman wasn't the world's greatest fighter. He was the world's greatest detective. The fighting thing is totally like – I mean he's always been a good fighter. But like to be the best and like the best fighter in the world kind of stuff, that's post-crisis reimagining. Right, right. And, and I like it when he's just a good fighter and he's a better detective. That's, you know, that's me. All right. So uh, Firestorm, as we said, was in the hospital and he stole – went to the nuclear – medicine ward and grabbed these floaty, you know, um, nuclear appendage arms and grabbed them. Now, here's the weird thing. He's just, like, levitating them in front of him. That is not part of any of his power set. <laughs> Firestorm does not have this ability. <laughs> he is just using his special rays to levitate the arms in front of him as he flies around town. Look, I- I'm going to suggest yes. that... At this age and uh, stature, Carmen Infantino drew what the hell he wanted. And then when the, when the editor got it, in this case, Paul Levitz, they just didn't have it in them to say, um, Carmine, you drew the back of Firestorm's uniform incorrectly. Or you're using his powers wrong. I think Carmine's editor would have been like, go F yourself. I'm not changing it. <laughs> really betting. I, I used to have your job, Sonny. Yeah, shot. exactly. I mean, right. You're talking to a guy that used to run the company that you now work for, and you're getting into the details of, you know, Firestorm's powers don't work like this. I can just imagine the answer. So I'm betting that's why there's so much of these, so many of these mistakes. I know, and it's. I'm. I'm just taking the Mickey out of it. I'm not. Well, I guess I did say it was pretty bad, but. Uh, <laughs> I'll, yeah, I, I can't apologize for it, I suppose. Anyway, I do like that we have Ronnie's address now because I'm going to go check out that house. So right. <laughs> we, yeah. al- we almost we almost have his phone number too. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, I mean, like you see that uh, there's a when they go to the um, the nu- nuclear facility that Batman drives up to, it looks like a coffee pot. I mean, you know what? It, yeah, it looks like Three Mile Island, you know, but like one of them. <laughs> and it also looks this. like it's about 15 feet high. I mean, it's just yeah, this is just not one of. <laughs> Carmine's best, best And you can efforts. drive right up to it, by the way. Yeah, and right. You can just drive. <laughs> There's no security. You can just pull right up. Nobody's, nobody's manning it. You know, you just walk oh, well, right up. Batman, no, Batman did jump a fence. He did oh, jump okay. a fence. All right. Anyway. Ooh, a fence. Uh, I, I, what's that? <laughs> Ooh, a fence. <laughs> yeah. you, do, you do get to see Batman's cool shadow again on page 12 when he's jumping over the wall. Yes, right. 
Totally dig that. Uh, I, I do like how the whole reason Firestorm store, stole the manipulator arms is so that the sentient atomic pile can have arms. <laughs> I mean, his, his face is sort of this, I should have mentioned earlier, there's sort of like this weird energy face that's floating above the giant three-mile island tower. Like, it's the only time you ever see it. Is, is 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 the face floating above the giant tower that, as we said, only looked fifteen feet tall? But um, you never see it again. You do hear the voice throughout the throughout the, the building. But now he has arms to grab things, and that just cracks me up. <laughs> so the only <laughs> Batman riding Firestorm rodeo is a riot. It's it's almost a whole page of it. Um, I like. It. I really actually I really like this page. I think it's a very well constructed page. Very exciting. Like a ton of movement. Uh, yeah, we're, we're going to say Carmine for this issue, but this is a nice page. Panel three and four are especially impressive. Right. I mean, I joke around about him riding Firestorm Rodeo. I mean, that is kind of a silly concept. However, you can clearly tell what he's doing. Mm-hmm. He is riding on Firestorm's back, and you can clearly tell that they're flying around and whipping around in the air, and it's really well-defined motion activity, and Nicely I like that. colored, too, because all the backgrounds are, d- are deep blue, and then you've got the, the white of the guy in the suit, and Firestorm's red and yellow popping out. So it's, it's a very handsome page. That's true. Yeah. If I were to be critical, the only thing they probably could have done additionally was to uh, – when, when Al Milgram designed Firestorm's costume, he did two things – very much on purpose, which one of them, uh, it has to do with every, every hero had capes, you know, in DC, DC, everybody had capes and they specifically designed Firestorm without a cape to try and give him a distinctively different look. And they gave him a, they tried to give him a very distinctive silhouette. So that if you saw Firestorm silhouette, you knew exactly who he was. And two of the things they did since uh, to, to, to compensate for the cape was to give the flaming hair and the puffy sleeves, the puffy sleeves that everyone makes fun of. One of the real reasons they gave him puffy sleeves was to help show motion when he's flying through the air. Okay. Because they part of the way reason they gave superheroes capes is so that it shows it flapping in the air. Right. Well, in this case, you see Firestorm's um, sleeves and his hair sort of flapping in the wind. So the only thing I could say they could have done they could have done a little more of that to show the motion. They could have had his actually his hair like streaming behind him to show the direction, but whatever. Anyway, still a very nice piece. So Batman tricking Firestorm into blasting the nuclear pile is. Just very much the typical Bronze Age quinky dink, uh, you know, saved everything at the last minute without any really rhyme or reason. There was nothing. There was nothing leading up to that decision. There was nothing saying, "Ooh, if we can accomplish this, we'll save the day." It's more like last minute. Do that, boom! Everything stops. Everything but he saved. And so it's. It, I'm sure there's literary ter- terms for that, and I'm just not with the smarts that doesn't come up with that. But um, you know, I. I don't like the quick fix endings all the time, so that's, I'm not, yeah. Now, here's the interesting thing that's sort of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's not foreshadowing, because it's not, but it's, it, it, it could be retconned to be foreshadowing if you really wanted. In this case, what they're saying is the same explosion that created Firestorm also created the sentient nuclear pile. And you could almost retcon this sort of connected to the Firestorm Elemental Era. Oh, because okay. and it's, it's a little bit of a stretch, but if you read the Elemental Era, you're, the matchheads who've read it are nodding their head with me right now. Because in the, in the Firestorm Elemental Era, you find out that during the nuclear explosion that created Firestorm, the Fire Elemental literally merged with Ronnie and the professor at that point. It was all sort of connected with the nuclear pile. I mean, the nuclear pile didn't create it, but it all happened at that moment. So the fact that the nuclear pile was involved with the creation of the elemental 
and it also involved the creation of the sentient pile. It's, it just all kind of fits well. It all kind of, it's almost like you'd say the nuclear pile was the elemental, like in a, in a, in a misguided form or something like that, if you really wanted to retcon the story together. But, but don't do it. that. Okay, I won't do that. Yeah. Um, final page where Jason Bard is talking to Professor Stein. That is the scrawniest Ronnie Raymond ever. He looks like, yeah, uh, a, 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 what, the 98 pound weakling. From the the hero of the beach ads, <laughs> the Flex Mentalo ads, <laughs> it's 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 really he's tiny and he's gawky as hell. Now Stein looks about right. That does look like Stein's face. Mm-hmm. So clearly he had some source material of Stein to work from. So maybe he had a picture of Firestorm with a floating Stein head or something. I don't know. So um, I'm so sorry to say that as a Firestorm fan, I do. I don't typically reread this issue. Um, when I go back and reread all my stuff, I either blow through it real quick or I just kind of go, oh, yeah, I don't want to read that. So, <laughs> because the, it's just, you know, everything else Jerry Conway put together is really good. Like, m- most, uh, okay, yeah. Of the DC Comics Presents that Jerry wrote, one of them's really good. Um, the other one's not so great. But, it, um, yeah. They can't I'm all done. be winners. They can't all yeah. be winners. There's nothing wrong with that. Just, who's like the greatest comic book writer ever? Like it's like Alan Moore. Not every Alan Moore story is great. So right. there's nothing wrong with that. It's just a shame so, that this was Farstrom's only shot in the book. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I mean, Brave the Bull didn't last much longer. So. No, it didn't. What I'm saying is just, you know, they just didn't yeah. get a chance to do another one. So this is his one shot. Yeah. Because, I mean, he, he managed to work his way into three different DC Comics Presents. Right. Because that went so on. I think he, yeah. Yeah, I think he would have. I think he would have worked his way into more of uh, Brave and the Bold had it not ended. So. Sure. Sure, sure. Um, so I mean, is it worth picking up? You know what? If you can get it digitally cheap, or you can, uh, you know, pick it up in a quarter bin or something, do it. It is part of Fires from History. It's an important part. This is before you know the the eighty two series started. There are some redeeming things. I really am taking the Mickey out of it. Just you know, but there's stuff to love in here. There is. But as far as finding your comic book joy, this did not help me find that. So that's why I was joking around early on saying, well, this is a sequel for you, but not for me. Okay. Uh, one other thing worth mentioning just about this comic, we joked about we're not going to cover the Nemesis thing. Nothing wrong with Nemesis. Actually, it's a fine strip. Uh, it's drawn by Dan Spiegel, who to me is like one of the great like underrated comic book artists. So it's even if you don't love the story, which I didn't, the, the artwork is gorgeous to look at. Like he was great at non-superhero stuff, so Nemesis is the perfect strip for him. So just you can just admire the pages uh, of how nice they are. And on the letters page features no letter from Russell Burbage. So there you go. You <laughs> should be running okay. into those a lot lately. So there's no Russell Burbage in this issue of Brave of the Bull. There is T.M. Maple, though. There is T.M. Maple, who's almost as good as Russell Burbage, but not quite. Yep. So, uh, so yeah, I guess that's – are we going to wrap up that for this this half of the Brave and the Bold look back? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> we done with, don't apologize. It's, how else are we going to learn these things until we cover them? So, yeah. uh, okay, we're going to take a break. We're going to listen to a couple oh, wait. Of, what? What did you think? What did you think of it? It's not good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. What else are you, I thought by the fact that I was goofing on it, told me well, it's I not just, great. I just real- I just realized I'm the one who said all the bad crap. I'm right. like, no, wait a minute. Rob got it, off it, easy here. It's not, well, all right. It's not great. It's Carmen Infantino definitely at his low, lower ebb. Everybody, nobody stands up straight in a Carmen Infantino story. Everybody's at a slight angle. 
Uh, it's like, stand up straight. There's nothing wrong, you know. Um, the, the cityscapes don't make any sense. They all look like they're from Star Wars as opposed to looking like an actual city. This was in New York. The story's very goofy. It, yeah, it's, it's just a very sort of silly and forgettable, you know, 19, early 1980s comic book. The best, it's almost like, best it's thing almost about like, it is the cover, really. Yeah. <laughs> it almost feels like they were in a hurry because there's really not a lot of story to it. I mean, I, I like that Batman was doing an investigation. That's kind of a cool angle. That's kind of a neat way to do a Firestorm story with Batman is having Batman investigate Professor Stein and Firestorm. That was kind of neat. But other than that, there's, not, there's really not a lot of story to it. Right. It's just Batman chasing Firestorm around and then, whoops, the Dominic Pile's beaten. We're done. Right. Let's call it a day. Yeah. The only thing that would have made it worse is if Dorian Day was in it. I knew you were going to get that in eventually. <laughs> anyway, uh, so we're going to take a break. We're going to listen to a couple of clips from Batman Brave and the Bold, the cartoon series, of course, which is one of our favorite things. And when we come back, we will talk about another issue of Brave and the Bold, this time featuring Batman and the Sea King, of course, talking about Aquaman. See you in a minute, guys. And, and this one's really good. So, yeah. well, what we're staying for. Was anybody going to ditch the show at this point? Yeah. You really I mean, needed to. We're done talking about the interesting character. We're now we're going to talk about the guy who talks to fish. Oh, sure. The, you know, the one without his own book, that one. So, all right, we'll be back shortly. Bye. How about it, kid? Put me in, coach. Yeah! Teamwork! Ah, there you are, old chum. For the next shot, jump, I think I'll recast the show's breakup character. Sorry, Aquaman's John DiMaggio, but you're being replaced. The role of Aquaman will now be voiced by Ted McGinley. That evil anthropoid is rampaging through Gotham. Aquaman, are you okay? You seem a little off. I wouldn't know what you're talking about, old chum. <laughs> and we're back. Love those clips. Brave and the Bold, good stuff. Uh, it's on Netflix now. Did I tell you that already? Uh, no, but I didn't know that. Yes, a lot of all the DC stuff is on uh, animated stuff is on Netflix. It's it's absolutely but not, a great show. But not the Superman animated series. What the hell is that? No, about? I know. It's weird. Yeah, very strange. But Brave no, I was going to show my, my I was going to show my stuff in a bunch of the dark side episodes, and it couldn't happen. All right. All right. Okay. Well, I said, as we talked about, we're going to cover Brave and the Bold. One, there was a couple of different Aquaman issues to choose from. Uh, he appeared in the book one, two, three, like five times, which is pretty remarkable. Um, brag, brag much? No, I don't. Uh, anyway, <laughs> so uh, he appeared in the book five different times. I, I picked one sort of at random, and it actually ties in a little bit thematically with, with our Firestorm segment, so it worked out. This is in uh, Brave and the Bold number 114. It was Cover dated uh, August, September 1974. The cover's by Jim Aparo. Jim Aparo in the 70s can't beat it. Cannot beat it. He's at the top of his game. The only downside to this cover is that this was when Brave and the Bold was in its 100 pages for 60 cents era. So you had a lot of reprints. And the cover the cover image of Aquaman ripping Batman's um, breather air breather mask off underwater is so tiny compared to the rest of the cover. That's the only downside. I would have loved to have seen well, this. As a full the coloring, the coloring too. The blue is off. Well, that's not Jim Aparo's fault. Well, I'm not faulting Jim. I'm just saying the only thing it deters from the cover is yeah. that. So, uh, sit your way back machines. This thing hit the shelves on May 21st, 1974. 
Now you're you're as obsessed with that as I am obsessed with heights of characters. I am a time travel nut, and I fully intend to eventually go back in time, and I need to know what days to go buy the comics I want. Wow. Uh, the book opens up with a front piece drawn by someone whom I don't know. I can't really recognize that artwork. It's kind of funky. Uh, the proportions there are a little weird. And it's very cartoony. Wonder Girl's in a purple outfit. Uh, but Aquaman's there running with Batman, and you get the whole table of contents of the issue. Uh, Aqualad is rocking brown hair. I don't know what's going on with this page. Bat- um, Batman, looks, Batman looks awesome, though. It's neat looking. It's, it's not a style you typically saw in a lot of DC Comics. Again, I can't exactly pin it down. I should look it up on Mike's Amazing World or something and see who actually drew that. Because it's not signed either. Anyway, the story in question is called Last Jet to Gotham. The story is by Bob, I don't give a Amy. The artist is by Jill Oh, You just dropped the F-bomb! I did. Because that's, it's appropriate. Haney did not care. Haney just, and I don't mean that in a bad way, he just wanted to write a fun, good story. He did not care about continuity, previous relationships, he just didn't – he didn't care. He didn't care. Now, this one, as Brave and Bold stories go, is fairly moderate. There were other issues where Batman Batman had, like, a godson that was introduced and never seen again or, like, long-lost relatives or he – you know, time tra- – he revealed his identity to characters he would never reveal his identity to. This one is fairly on the, the, the moderate side in terms of the characterization being out of character. Then um, it opens up at the Gotham Airport. Batman and Gotham, Batman and Commissioner Gordon are waiting for a jet to land because there's a criminal on it, a, a famous mobster named Joe Angel. Great name. Uh, but then the, they're waiting for the plane to come in. At the last moment, they hear a radio communique come over that a water spout has come out over the ocean and sunk the plane. Dun dun. All right. So Batman decides to investigate. He jumps onto a plane <laughs> as it's riding by, uh, much like he did on, with Firestorm in the previous segment. He's like, I'm hitching a ride. And the guy's like, gotcha, Batman. And they just let him just climb aboard. <laughs> what the hell? So, because, you know, let's just let the guy in a costume just jump aboard this plane. Um, <laughs> the random guy whose face is covered. Yep, right, yeah, the it. random guy's face is covered. So, so anyway, uh, Batman is investigating what's going on. We see underwater that there is a mysterious, no, maybe not mysterious, but a underwater craft called the Golden Double Dolphin, which was Aquaman's little mini sub that he had, which unfortunately was never turned into a toy. Mego should have, <laughs> absolutely should have made that. Um, was this the only appearance of the Double Dolphin? Uh, I think so. I think this is the only comic I'd ever. Uh, yeah, 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 I think so. Um, anyway, uh, right. It's, it's, it's Planet Haney. It is Planet <laughs> Haney. Inside the Double Dolphin is Aquaman. He sends out, he talks to Batman over the radio, and he tells Batman that he is the one that sunk the plane. And I believe it. And he actually hangs up on Batman, which is great. That's like a total cock-of-the-walk move to hang up on Batman. (laughs) Batman goes to investigate. He gets in his scuba suit. He jumps underwater. He finds the plane, and everyone inside it are still alive because they're trapped inside of a huge air bubble. He tries to rescue them, and as he's about to rescue these guys, some guys with some scuba guys with some knives try to attack him. He tries to fend them off when a whale comes by and grabs one of the guys who rescues Batman. And, of course, the whale is being commanded by, as you can might guess, Aquaman. Batman sees that Joe Angel is, in fact, still in the plane there. Um, 
Batman is going to try and free Joe Angel out of the plane when he is stopped by Aquaman. Aquaman, in fact, grabs Batman's breathing tube and drags him through the water uh, and takes him inside of his golden double dolphin thing, which is, again, really kind of a boss move. He's just dragging Batman all around and stuff. He reveals to Batman, inside the, uh, the golden double dolphin, which I don't tire of saying, that <laughs> inside of the plane was a hydrogen bomb that was planted there in a crate uh, of uh, supposedly filled with wine that was set to go off at a certain uh, level, air, air pressure level. And if once it had touched down on Gotham Airport, it would have gone off and leveled all of Gotham City. And in fact, we see a very nice drawing by Jim Apparel of the nuclear bomb going off, completely demolishing all of Gotham City. So, of course, Batman is like, well, geez, now I understand why you why you did this, Aquaman. Now, Aquaman is saying that these guys, everyone in the plane, is still alive, so he can has time to rescue them. We get in, then then we get into the sort of the backstory of Joe Angel, and that he is running um, these drugs from a country called Caratolia. <laughs> Fantastic name. The drugs are made from these poppy, uh, the poppy flowers, which of course is, I guess, code for heroin or whatever. Um, Aquaman and Batman go to back go back to find the plane. Then the, the the plane is unfortunately has disappeared. The plane full of passengers has disappeared. They find that it is now being towed by a cargo ship uh, on some sort of giant platform. And of course, the people on the cargo ship don't realize that they're dragging this plane uh, to Gotham City, where it will still the bomb still has the potential to go off. Um. Oh god, this is this is so much plot. I'm only on page fifteen. I feel like I've been talking forever. Um, <laughs> Me too. That, oh, come on, that was funny. No, it wasn't. So anyway, <laughs> uh, Batman, Batman, try, Batman tries to get onto the plane. Um, he gets hit by uh, the. He accidentally gets hit and gets knocked out. He falls into a giant barrel of like seaweed or fish or something. Joe Angel is oh, there. It's, it's fish. Is it fish? It's, okay. It's, it's, it's mackerel. Oh, it's mackerel. Exact. Okay. Does it say that somewhere? Batman's on ice. And oh, it does say Batman's dead dead until he's dead off the mackerel. There you go. Okay. He'll be as dead as those cover-up mackerel. So they, they, they are disguise their scow to look like a fishing ship. There you go. There you go. They've thrown some dead mackerel down there. and They're just leaving Batman alive in the hold. And they'll kill Always the a good idea. Always a good idea to leave Batman alive. Always a good idea. So uh, Aquaman tries to stop this cargo ship using his double dolphin. They collide, which ends up shearing off part of the double dolphin. Makes it sink. So there you go. Goodbye, double dolphin. Aww. Yeah. The ship gets attacked by a giant squid. Uh, Joe Angel says, holy, what's that? And the captain says, a giant squid. Sometimes they climb aboard to raid the fish hole. Gun it, boys. Which is great. He's not even that upset by a giant squid attacking the ship. Um, the giant squid grabs Joe Angel while Aquaman climbs aboard. And really, a, really a, a very well-drawn sequence. I mean, this whole issue is very well-drawn, but this one is really particularly nice. You see, like, the wind blowing Aquaman's hair around. It's really very dynamic. They apprehend Joe Angel. Uh, they reach Gotham just as the plane is about to land. And, of course, that still means the bomb is going to go off. Batman and Aquaman are riding on top of a giant whale named Kasha, which I enjoy. Aquaman says, faster, Kasha, faster. They get to the they uh, get to the plane. They stop the cargo just as it's being lowered, and they keep it from hitting that particular altitude. They defuse it, then they put it on the boat, set it out to sea. Batman and Aquaman 
uh, shake hands. Batman thanks Aquaman for the assistance. And it ends on a particular sort of poetic note as we see Aquaman taking off back out to the sea on his whale. Commissioner Gordon says, He's a strange being, so proud, cold-blooded, and hard to figure. He scares me. Batman says, Me too sometimes. But take him all in all, he's beautiful. And that's the end of the story. Now, I love this story. It is a ton of fun. It is drawn by Jim Aparo, like I said, at the peak of his powers. It has, like, a bunch of different settings. It's got the golden double dolphin. Aquaman essentially gets to be the hero of the story, even over Batman. Because it's uh, Batman even admits to himself that he's blown it, and where he gets captured and gets stuck with all the mackerel and stuff. So it's Aquaman is the one that really has to come in and, 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 and be the big hero, which was fantastic. Um... It moves at a lightning pace, and so the story's only, what is it, uh, 18 pages, 19 pages, 20 pages. So it moves super fast. Um, I, I like that the, the, frequently Aquaman and Batman seem to fight in these issues of Brave and the Bold. They get into a fight in number 126, which is another appearance. They fight again in 142. So every time these guys ran into each other, they just butted heads. So that was always fun to watch. Uh, I love the story. To me, this is like comics bliss. It's just goofy, goofy fun. It's a good comic. It really is. Uh, I enjoyed it very much. Now, here, here's where, and maybe I don't know my science well enough, the, the big plot hole to me is, okay, so there's a, an atomic bomb sitting in a fake case of wine, and the idea is once they land at the Gotham airport, which is slightly below sea level, once they reach that, reach that barometric pressure, that will trigger the bomb to go off. Right. So whatever they have to do, they can't let the bomb reach slightly below sea level because it'll detonate. Okay. Where, when it crashed from the sky to the under the bottom of the ocean, right. didn't it have to pass that spot? Uh, yes. I guess so. Now, the only thing I could no prize here is that perhaps in the center of a water spout... The barometric pressure is all screwed up because of the wind pressure or something. I don't know. Sure. We need, go with that. So, somebody can make with the science and help us out here. <laughs> yeah, there must be somebody listening to the show that has a science background. Tell us why, that is, why this makes sense. Because I'm sure Bob Haney would never write anything into his stories that don't have any intrinsic sense. <laughs> uh, now, hey, you want me to make your day? Sure. The Double Dolphin? Yeah. Returned. Did it really? Where did it return? In the next Batman Brave and the Bold team up. <laughs> oh, it did? Oh, okay. That's right. I, I, I remember he had a ship. I didn't remember that it was called the Golden Dolphin. Because he had a couple different ships in the 70s. It showed up in there, too. Okay. may have been in a couple other places. I'm not sure. Okay. But it was definitely in there. Yeah, I mean, well, he got... They, they were definitely tricking Aquaman out in the 70s. He got his own, like, aqua cave in the 70s as well. So Was that when that happened? Yes. In Adventure Comics, he got his own aqua cave. So they, they really... Uh, Oh, I always thought that was in the 60s series. He had a cave in the 60s series, but in the 70s he got like a cave that was like a Batman cave because it had like a computer uh, equipment and, you know, all this kind of stuff. So he really, they really made him into more like a superhero kind of guy. Um, like I said, these stories don't necessarily make a whole lot of sense, but they move at such a clip that you don't care. You know, you're just sort of thrown into it, and visually they can't be beat. I mean, Apero's stuff is just so good. He's drawing two of his marquee characters. Um, you really can't beat it. You really, really can't. And um, some of the panels, you know, these are really effective. Like the, the 
page seven, which is the beginning of part two of the story, the deadly wine. Um, you see Aquaman grabbing Batman's uh, air tube, and he doesn't say anything to, to Batman. He's just standing looking very firm and kind of scary. I, I like that about him. And they reference that in that last panel where they, you know, Commissioner Gordon Batman are seem kind of intimidated by Batman. Um, I love that little piece of characterization that Batman is sort of scared by Aquaman. That's pretty cool. I like that. Well, go back a page, um, page six. And I may be misinterpreting what this art is. I don't know. But in the, in the final panel on page six, Batman is about to smash the window in the, in the, in the airplane. Right. And Aquaman grabs his hand. Mm -hmm. Look at inside the mask, Batman's, you know, goggles mask. Mm -hmm. It looks like you can see the pupils looking off to the side, try and get a look at who's grabbing him. And it's really cool. Mm -hmm. Very effective. Like, Really kind of creepy eyes, like, what's going on there kind of thing. It's really nice. It's great. He does a great – I mean, you said apparel on this run was, was, the, was the bomb. You know, he just did such and such – everything was – you know, the, the varying of shots. I mean, like something even as dull as on on page 8. We'll post some of these on our Tumblr, by the way. On page 8, there's a little inset of the golden double dolphin going through the water. And Apera drew this nice rock formation. That the, the creating like a little tunnel that the dolphin, the double dolphin is going through, just that is really, really nicely done. You know, that could have been a very dull panel. And you've got some of the sea life done in silhouette in the foreground. It's, it's great. Like I said, I really think Migo, uh, well, Aquaman was never a big hit for Migo, so I know why they didn't make it. But man, it would have been awesome if they could have made a um, double dolphin playset. Well, it's a really nice, nicely, nicely drawn issue. You know, I mentioned Marvel Team Up earlier. That is one thing they had in common with with uh, Batman: Brave and the Bold of the Stereo is that the stories were just sort of crazy. Yep. Um, Marvel Team Up was the same way. It'd be like Stegron did what? You know, you know, sort of thing. It was always like, what? Who is this throwaway villain we'll never see again? Oh, okay. <laughs> well, that hey, it, that's the book where Spider Man teamed up with the not ready for primetime players. That is absolutely true. So it was uh, and David Letterman. I want to say it another one, but it's uh, that was well, definitely was the Avengers. Oh, that's right. It was Avengers, wasn't it? Okay. Anyway, so the point I'm making is both both of these series had that in common of having sort of the what the you know, WTF sort of stories, but you just go with it because you don't care because it's like who cares? This is a blast. Yeah. So yeah, um, I will tell you the plane at the bottom of the ocean. Um, with an air bubble, and they're all sort of getting ready to suffocate. Mm-hmm. If I read this when I was like 10 years old, I'd have nightmares for a week. Oh, it's terrifying to think about that you're in a plane at the bottom of the ocean, and you're still alive. You you're, can see the people yeah, like just yeah. shouting out at Batman to rescue them. Yeah, like, oh. yeah that's pretty bad. Creeps me out. That's pretty bad. Um, I, like, I like Batman, again, his familiarity with the police. Like, mm-hmm. in the other one, in the Carmen Infantino, it's almost easier to accept because the art was so bad. Like, it just looks so corny. Like, oh, this is totally, you know, like someone drew really bad Mike Sikowski, you know, Batman hanging out with the cops. Here, you know, it's really sharp, 70s sort of Dark Knight detective that you expect. But he's just hanging out with cops. Mm-hmm. Him, and Jim, him and Jim Gordon are running an op. Running an op you know? Yeah, <laughs> this, is, this is a Batman who would have fit in on a 70s detective series like Mannix or something like right. that. Or Canon. You know, he just would have been like, you know, this week's guest star, Batman. You know, it just has right. that kind of feel to it. And him jumping on the plane. I mean, he's yeah. just. Well, I love how he calls Aquaman on the phone, and and we get to see the Atlantean operator who answers like what appears to be a shell a phone. shell phone. <laughs> he's like, "Stand by, I'll put you through to him." It transfers the call to Aquaman sub. 
It's like that awesome. That is fantastic. An Aquaman, an Atlantean switchboard. That is awesome. Uh, makes me happy. Yeah, and it's a, this, this is to me. This is finding my bliss. It comic yeah. Stuff. This is this. Uh, I could I could totally fall in love with this comic because it's yeah. just goofy fun. Now, it, it, are all are most of the Brave of the Bolts more like this than versus the Firestorm story? Uh, in the from this era, yeah. From the yeah. from the Haney Harry, Haney wrote Brave and the Bold for a while, if memory serves, and a lot of them are this fun. This is why it was one of my favorite books. And it was just they were just really fun stories, one and dones, you know, like we talked about for the most part. Um, drawn by Aparo, again, for the most part. And, the, and again, Aquaman appeared in it quite a bit. I mean, this is 114. He came back in 126. That's a, only a, yeah. a year later. Yep. Uh, so, you know, he, he appeared in it, you know, fairly fairly regularly. Um, good, good Lord. Aparo drew, or at least had, oh, he did covers. That's what it is. Never mind. I was looking at Aparo's uh, run on, on Brave and the Bold, and it lists him, in connection with almost every single issue, from issue 100 to 200, but with, with a few misses here and there. But I just realized that's probably him on the cover versus inside. He did most of the insides for, for most of the books run. Oh, really? really? Did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, now, I mean, okay. later on there were some fill-ins and stuff like that. Uh, this this Brave and the Bold was a series that featured two stories by Alan Brennert, which, uh, as I've talked about before, ad nauseum with Alan Brennert. He's one of my all-time favorite writers and. He wrote two of the best Batman stories ever, and both of them appeared in Brave and the Bold, one of which was drawn okay. by Jim Aparo. So I said this was a fun series. This issue, uh, so we're not going to talk about what else is in it, but this is a very Aqua-centric issue. It features an Aquaman reprint from the from the 60s. It features the Teen Titans reprint and some like fun puzzle pages, and there's even a little history of Batman narrated by Aquaman. So they really like ran him as a through line throughout this whole issue. Um, and, cool. You know, a hundred pages of material for only sixty cents. Couldn't beat it. You can get this oh comic. Gosh. You can get this comic pretty cheaply, like on eBay and stuff. I, I'm I'm sure it's been collected. Uh, we didn't do an ad for In Stock Trades this time, but we'll do it next time. We'll have to look up for Brave and Bolds. But you can even get this comic itself for not that much on eBay, and it's a ton of entertainment. Oh, and and it also features a um, another Brave and the Bold reprint uh, featuring Merchant Midhunter and Green Arrow. So Woo-hoo! this is this has got a lot of material for a little a little something for everybody. It's a, it's a really, really fun book. You know, you mentioned um, that's an Aquaman-centric issue. You know, I didn't think about it, but this is a pretty Batman-centric episode of Fire and Water. I mean, we had that it is. It is. ridiculous conversation on the front end. Um, <laughs> we've got Brave and the Bold, so we've got Batman there. And then the clips you played were Batman, so it's kind of like, oh, you know what? Look at that. There you go. A big Batman episode. There you go. We can get yep. some of that Batman, podca- Batman podcast heat that's out there. Oh, God. There must, be a, there must be a Batman podcast, right? Is there one? There, uh, there must there be must somebody. Be. There's, like, there's like 19. Oh, 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 oh there's a, yeah, there's a Batman podcast network. In fact, oh, is there really? Okay. I'm, I, you know what? I was. I, have I talked about the Taking Flight podcast on this show? No, you should. Okay, I talked about it on Bailey Show just recently. I'm going to yes. talk about it here again. Um, I should have done it at the front of the show because no one's listening by this point. But whatever. Tom Panneries, a uh, great guy, runs a podcast called Taking Flight, and it is available through the Batman Podcast Network. Um, you can find it on iTunes. Uh, just look up Taking Flight and you'll find it. It is a love letter to Robin. And that could, you know, they, they focus on Dick Grayson as Robin. They focus on Tim Drake as Robin. He does some about Jason Todd. I assume he's going to get to some Damien stuff. I'm not really sure. But it starts off as a big focus on, on Dick Grayson, eventually moves to Tim Drake. It is one of the best podcasts out there. Between the music, his passion for it, the stuff he's covering, if you have even a 
passing interest in Dick Grayson or Tim Drake, uh, you have got to, or, or Jason Todd, you've got to listen to this podcast. It's Taking Flight. Um, the Facebook group only has a tiny number of people that have hit like on it, which honestly is a crime because the podcast is that good. You, you need to go out and listen to Taking Flight, folks. Why are you wasting your time listening to this garbage? Fire and water, I don't know. Wow. Uh, you, should, <laughs> you should be listening to his show instead. Anyway. I just, I just lost a third of our listeners. I'm sorry. That was like a weird <laughs> plug. That was a weird, weird plug that you just did. It's a really good show. I, yeah, well, all right, but at the expense of ours? I, well, I, anyway, I, I will say there are, I, I've listened to a bunch of podcasts, and usually what I do is I, I find a, a recent episode and try it, and I'm like, oh, this is cool, and I just go from there go from there forward. Taking Flight is one of the few podcasts I've ever started listening to, and then immediately went back and listened to Every single back episode. I haven't done that very often with very many shows, and this one I absolutely did. Ah, you've sold so. me. Yeah, that'll be music to uh, Chris Franklin's ears because he loves Robin. That's like oh, Chris, his favorite character. Shh. Taking flight, buddy. Go check uh, it out, pal. So we wanted to mention one other thing before we wrapped up this episode is we got. Uh, we're going to save listener feedback for a later episode, but we specifically wanted to mention this. Uh, I got a package at Aquaman Shrine Central the other day. From uh, Matchhead, which, which, by the way, is just a dirty portal out on the side of the road in New Jersey. But anyway, uh, come on, that was funny. Was it really? You have to point it out. I don't think it is funny. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> Russell Burbage laughed. Did he? Well, uh, anyway, we got a nice uh, package in the mail from. Anyway, oh, you know what? Before I even mention that, I got a very nice package of uh, fun stuff from Russell for my birthday, which was last week. Thanks for noticing, Aww. Shay. Um, yeah, Russell managed to jam in, like, something featuring everything that I like. There was comics in there. It was a bunch of Legion comics, actually, so I could uh, apparently be better prepared and more appreciative of the Legion of Superheroes, <laughs> which I well read. Done. I read them. So there was a bunch of Legion comics. There was some Bob Dylan stuff. There was some Franco Delano Roosevelt stuff. He, like, it was, like, everything that I like all in one box. So thank you very oh much. Oh, my gosh. Was very He's sweet. such a better friend than me. Oh. Yeah, no doubt about that. Anyway, the, the, the oh. package we got... Uh, the the package we got that I'm referring to is from uh, Steam Steam what what do we call our people? Nuclear subs. Nuclear subs. I'm blanking out. Nuclear subs. But nu- it sounds like he's won the Steam award for this. I, one. He does won the Steam award for this. Yes, Gene Hendricks or Eugene Hendricks. I'm sure he wants to go by. I think Gene Hendricks. He and we're going to post this photo on the Tumblr. He created two custom made HeroClix figures. And the Heroclix figures are half Firestorm and half Aquaman, making, as he calls them, composite Aquastorms. <laughs> and they really are. I mean, when I first got them, I thought they were real. Like, they were real Heroclix. And I was like, wait a minute. There can't possibly be a composite Aquaman Firestorm character <laughs> that previously exists. There's no way. But they look so nice. I mean, they're really well done. And he stitched them together for me. We took a, I took a picture on them, and it said it'll appear on the Tumblr. They are... Gorgeous, cute little figures. He made them himself. Uh, very, very generous thing for him to do, and the, the workmanship is great. And we really appreciate it, Gene. They're 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 really beautiful. I, I've seen the photos of it, and it is absolutely stunning. So I'm totally blown away. In fact, they're so cool. They're going to get mentioned twice on our show. They're going to get mentioned here, and they're going to get mentioned on Who's Who. Yeah. Just because of <laughs> that's really where it belongs. 
But we couldn't wait to talk about No, we about couldn't it. wait. Yeah, I was like, I said to Shag, we got to get on this immediately because they're really yeah. so beautiful. So they're sitting right here as I'm talking. Uh, I'll have to send one of these to Shag. That way he can own one and I can own the other. Oh, that's they're, brilliant. Okay. Yeah, they're really, really, really cute. And like I said, we, I just, I'm very, very touched, Gene, because that was probably a, a lot of work, a lot of tedious, tiny little work with tweezers right. or stuff like that. So, and plus, maybe, also, maybe he's maybe he's like a watchmaker. Yeah, like quite possibly, yeah. And they're also clearly the work of someone who's insane that would sit there and make this. <laughs> and the fact that, um, you know, that like. The Shag and I goofing on the composite su- Superman has made people defend him. Is even more amazing. So, that's really for those of you who don't know, yes, on the Who's Who podcast, if you don't listen to that, yes, we we attack uh, composite Superman quite often yeah, on the Who's we do. Who podcast. We do. And it started this whole thing where I, I want to say it was Corey Hodgson and um, and Andy Capellish who drew composite Firestorm Aquaman. As like a gag. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. And obviously, Gene's picked up the mantle and he's kept it going too. He may not even be aware of the drawings they did. I don't know, but um, it's kept it going, and it's uh, it's just a st- it's absolutely hysterical. Yeah, they really are very nice. So, thanks very much, Gene. We appreciate it. It was it was absolutely appreciate. It was absolutely absolutely appreciated. Awesome. Uh, so yeah, I think I guess that's going to wrap up the show. Yep. Uh, what else, what do you want to plug, Shag? When you have the chance. Uh. Firestormfan.com. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little website I do sometimes. It's got a guy whose head's on fire. Mm-hmm. Is it available? Plus, in, I, is it available in other formats? You could, you could, if you so wish, you could find it uh, at Firestormfan.com. You can also find it on Facebook and Twitter. You can also, uh, if you so like, you, if you're a social media mogul like some people, you can find it on Instagram or Tumblr or Google Plus. And, uh, you know, that's where I am. That's what I do. All right. Uh, what about for you? me, yes, of course, you can find uh, find me on AquamanTrine.com, where just last week we got to finally announce, I completely forgot this, that the Aquaman Trine is responsible for a tiny, tiny part of Aquaman's official history now because we have named his dog. <gasps> Jeff Johns officially, he mentioned this to us last year, and I completely forgot about it. Because Salty has not appeared in the book in a little while, but Salty, Aquaman's dog, is officially named Salty, and Jeff Johns got it from us. No way. Yes. He got it from he got it from our poll that we decided that the dog's name was Salty, and Jeff Johns, when it was time to officially name the dog, the dog now appears in the DC Super Pets encyclop- character encyclopedia, which is the book I talked about earlier in the week. The book, the dog is named Salty, and that is his first time he's appeared with his name attached to it, so... The Aquaman Trine is responsible for some tiny, tiny little portion of Aquaman history now. Dude, that's amazing! So when, when, when Salty comes back in the book, eventually, when they get done this whole Death of the King storyline and Aquaman and Mira go back to the lighthouse and we see Salty, the first time we see him, when they say, hey, Salty, presumably they will, hopefully, that will be because of us. I'm very proud of that. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so, anyway. Congratulations, congratulations uh, thanks man. Thanks, everybody. Everybody did. Everybody did. Everybody who voted, everybody who pitched names. The name was actually the creation of a phone member named Simone Milarkey. She was the one who, who pitched it first. And then we had a poll, and we had, like, 20 different names that you could vote for, and, and Salty won. So, we've officially named him Salty, and now Jeff Jones has officially named him Salty. So, very good. That's it's unbelievable. Yeah, it's just one of definitely nerd credentials there. Um, you can find Aquaman Trine on Facebook and Twitter, of course. Uh, the Twitter feed is run by Joe, Joe Slab, whose birthday was also just last week. Very nice. Joe, oh, cool. Joe's birthday is the day after mine, so it's a good time for Aquaman fans. 
maybe he could celebrate uh, with a drink. Maybe we could. And uh, he's, he's, okay, let's not get into that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, can follow, you can send us an email, of course, at firewaterpodcast.comcast.net. You can follow our Tumblr, fireandwaterpodcast.tumblr.com. Be on the lookout for my book, Hey Kids Comics, True Life Tales from the Spinner Rack, which is absolutely coming, will be on sale very shortly. I Plans are it will be on sale at the Baltimore Comic Con, where I will be. I'm not totally, totally saying that's going to happen just yet because a couple things have to fall into place. But it will be available very, very soon. And we will be doing a Hey Kids Comics-centric episode of the podcast so you can learn more about the book, what it's all about. You can actually hear clips from some of the authors themselves. It's going to be a lot of fun. And the last thing I want to mention before we go, I have to thank Chris Franklin for stepping in last week and co-hosting the Power Records Showcase episode with me. It was a lot more fun doing it with a partner, uh, as most things are. Uh, so, and Chris, Chris, brought a lot, Chris brought a lot of enthusiasm to the Power Records, and it was great having him on, so we want to thank him for being on the show. Thank you, Chris. I appreciate that. You pinch it uh, for us there, and uh, I, I appreciate it. It was able to give me the week off so I could do some big things going on in my life. So, yeah, man, awesome. Like be on Bailey's show. I, okay. <laughs> You're trying to pick fight again. <laughs> Rob picked a fight on Facebook with me about me being on Bailey's show, I and then did. him and Mike started arguing about me like some jilted gr- girlfriends. <laughs> it was Bailey that brought the sexual tone into it, where he said he was, you were his first. Okay, yeah, uh-huh. As you, uh, as you implied that if Bailey had kept me satisfied, I wouldn't go looking for someone else. It's true. It's true. <laughs> All right, folks, thanks for listening. And on that note... <laughs> We'll see you next week, folks. Fan the flame and ride the wave. Bye. Aquaman and Firestorm fighting crime together. Soak them down or burn them up. No one does it better. Whenever you find trouble, they'll always be there to catch them in a bubble or even torch their hair. Stand for truth and justice in sea, on land, in air. Firestorm and Aquaman, they make a super pair. Aquaman and Firestorm, super friends forever. Yeah! Oh, hi, Sarah. It's been a long time. I guess you've been busy with Matt Damon. I've been busy too. I've been thinking about us and you and him. And I'm happy for you. I really am. He's a great guy. I mean, he's the sexiest man alive. I found somebody pretty sexy too. I don't know if you've heard, but... Hey, Sarah, he's got bigger tits. But not horrible, right? Excuse me, is someone here Ben Affleck? I am. I'm Great, sign here. Thank you. Congratulations on Ben Affleck. Uh, 